Well, for those of you who are visiting, I want to welcome you to Genesis Community Church. My name is Hans, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And you are kind of right in the middle of a series that we are developing called Community Matters. And just what does God have for his church? And it is difficult for us... I'm saying us, and it's difficult for us to think about us. Uh, Very often we think about the individual. What's going on for me? How does this affect me? We're even pretty pretty common, it's pretty common to use phrases like this, where you go, hey, you do whatever you think's best. You do whatever you think's best for you and your family, or you make whatever decision you think's best, or you do you. We have all those phrases where it's like, hey, what I want is probably what's best, or I'm going to honor your own desires, and I'm going to let you do your thing, and I'm going to do my thing, and we're going to kind of operate like that. And so when you live in life in Christ, which is in and through the church, his people, then you do you doesn't really have a whole lot of room. It's not it's like you do you is a totally different way of understanding how we operate, uh, because what the scriptures often say is, no, I do what's best for you. I don't do what's best for me. I do what's best for you. My concern is for you and how, how you are benefited and how you are built up and how you are cared for because you're my family. And Jesus has taught me a different way, a way that, that really puts aside my concern for myself, what I think might be best or might, maybe even what I want to do, and instead latches on to Jesus, and he builds us up into something together. And so we've been building these ideas where God created this world and everything in it, and he created man and woman to go and image him or to reflect his image in all the earth. That that's, what, that's how it began. That the, the, the original creation was a world full of people reflecting God in right relationship with him. But sin entered in. And when sin entered in, we realize now that everything we do and everything that we experience and even even moments that we have together are marred in some capacity by the fact that things are sinful. And then along with that, that we ourselves are not in a right relationship with God. That we are born outside of a right relationship with God. But God is the writer of wrongs, the corrector of wrongs and ills. And so the Son of God comes into this earth, Jesus Christ, dies for our sins, rises again. Through faith in him, we can be made right with God and we are made right with one another. But we long for the day when the Lord Jesus returns and makes a new heaven and a new earth and sin, Satan, and death are totally and finally destroyed, and we worship and we reign with him, doing what God had originally intended for us to do, which is to reflect him in all the earth. And we live in this kind of moment of frustration. So we're in this concept right now, the idea that we see in the New Testament of what God is doing with us. Ephesians, last week, we spoke about how he is unifying us, that he's creating a new people, that, that the divisions that would often exist, the in-groups and the out-groups that exist in church life, Jesus has done away with those. The tension between Jew and Gentile that exists in the first century, that, that Apostle Paul was writing and going, that's gone. And now we get to kind of carry on in that idea, to still go with what is, what is Jesus doing. 
But, but we ended last week with we're a, a dwelling place where God resides through His Spirit or by His Spirit. Ephesians 2.22. But there's still that building image that we want to spend more time on today. And we get to go to one of the guys Jesus chose, Peter, Petros. We get to go to Peter and hear some of his language about what Jesus is building and what Jesus is doing here. If you ever go to our house, uh, Friday night is often movie night. And that changed. It used to be dinner out night, and then, you know, 2020 happened, and it just turned into pick up dinner and have a movie. So now if we don't watch the movie, like, the, I'm, I'm the worst dad in the world. But one, one movie that gets us all, the Lego movies get us all. We are laughing throughout. You pick one. We are laughing throughout the Lego movies. One, two, Lego Batman, they all, they all have their spot in our heart, and they just make us laugh. And the first one I think gets me, gets me a lot, the Lego Batman does have a bit of a, it's up there. Because Emmett, right, the main character, is clueless about anything. And he only knows how to follow the instructions, right? Like, he, I have a child at my house who will get on the computer and just study Lego building instructions, like Lego set instructions, like to just look at every step along the way. We don't even own the sets, just mentally trying to put it together to figure out what is actually happening here and how do, we, how do we do this. And again, if you go to our house, it hasn't changed. I'm waiting for the time where we grow out of it. But you have to dodge Legos in every room of the house. Every room. You know, like, and when you vacuum, you just assume that you're, gonna, you're, like, you're losing pieces. You just go, well, you're like, you know, that's probably something important. You know, three years from now, we're going to be trying to build set 97501 and not have, you know the corn dog that goes in the guy's hand, you know, at the food truck or whatever it is that we're building. But then all of the Lego movie, right, Emmett's the master builder, they think he's the master builder, and they realize that he's not. And what's a master builder? You remember this? Master builder is the person who doesn't need the instructions. They can actually kind of put stuff together, put stuff together without the instructions. They can kind of they see it in their head, and they know what they're building up. I need more coffee. I'm not amped enough yet today. JK. But very often when, I, when we're building it, right, like there's the cool master builder. But when we're building that, like you just get, if you've ever done this, like you just open it up and there's just bags upon bags with numbers on them. And you go, okay, I'll open up set number one and get to the instructions number one. But so often when we view church life, we kind of, we, we really do like, we're like, I got an assemblage of things I have people in my life. I have structures to be a part of. I'm in a community group. I go to this service. Like, we have all these things that, that we, I really think, like, we just go, what do I do with this? Like, to me, it makes a ton of sense because I spend every day thinking about it. But to you who are like, hey, this is my first Sunday here, my second Sunday here, you know, what do you want me to do? And I mean, what's going on here? It becomes a little harder sometimes to be like, okay, so I just, you know, open up bag number one, and now I'm in a community group, and open up bag number two, and now I'm serving somewhere, and open up bag number three, and now I do this. You kind of build all this stuff together. And so I wanted to take a moment to step back from that idea of just church life of like, okay, well, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and everything kind of fits, and it looks really good, and I followed the instructions to go, hey, there's something much bigger going on even in us that no one specific structure will actually be able to bring about because it's not done by us. There's something going on even in this moment that is not being done by us. 
And we want to give attention to that because if we want to realize in community life what is most significant, if we want to care about the right things and have the right, the right focus, the right attention, to actually be considering the right things and being looking at one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord in the right way, then we need to know what both Jesus has done, which was a lot of last week. He has now made in himself one new man. He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And what is he doing? And there's this continual aspect that Peter hints at at 2 Peter chapter 2. Like there's always something going on that Jesus is doing, right? Jesus, the master builder of the church, the one who actually knows what's going on, that doesn't have to follow the instructions because he is the instructions. And so 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10, 1 Peter is a book that's a lot about suffering, quite honestly. It's about how you endure suffering. How do, you, how do you handle life when things don't go your way? How do you handle life when you've been mistreated? When you actually do the right thing and somebody fires you for it? When you stand out for something that is true and you get mocked and they laugh at you? First Peter follows in that theme quite a bit. This is how you walk in the ways of our Lord. And First Peter's argument, for those of you who want to read, to the, you know, read the, last, the last chapter, First Peter's argument is basically this, good. Like you, you are reflecting the character of Jesus when you suffer for doing right. That's a good thing. Jesus did it. So you're like, don't feel, and now you're not left out. Now you're a part of doing things as he did. But in chapter two, we get to see <clears throat> this idea of building, and it goes kind of into two ways. Like what, what Christ is building through the church and and then a group that, that doesn't really understand, but then the role that that one group that is a part of the building has with the group that doesn't understand, right? So he, he kind of builds this idea of like there's Jesus building something, and there's what's going on in the world, which is not that, but the people that Jesus is building up, because of their identity, have a role to play in essentially saying to the other side, hey, come over here, <clears throat> look at what he's building, and look at what he's doing, it's far better over here, and so we'll just go through these 10 verses, and we'll see some of these <clears throat> connections in what Jesus is building up in us. Some of it's going to be habit language, like the, the people of God are, and then some of it's just going, look at what Jesus is doing. Let's not forget that he's the one making this work out, not me. <clears throat> and 1 Peter 2 begins to talk about the holy people <clears throat> and the work Jesus does, and it pulls heavily from Old Testament imagery to get this idea of what Jesus has been doing and what Jesus is. But he actually begins coming out of this idea of the gospel that was preached. That's right at the end of chapter 1. So he says this at the end of chapter 1, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so he's speaking to this group of believers who have trusted in Jesus. He's saying this has been preached to you, and so you have... In Christ been changed. And then we get into chapter 2 where he says this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And I just want, I'm going to start at verse 1. He doesn't talk about these things as if they would not exist within you apart from Jesus. He, it, it, just goes to, it just goes with not knowing Jesus. right? Being hypocritical, malicious, deceptive. Being a hypocrite. Being envious, slanderous. These are just, this is just par for the course for the person who is not walking with the Lord and has not been changed by Jesus. He's like, 
it, it, and that's, that's kind of uncomfortable because if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you want to kind of go, hey, I'm all right. Like, I'm, I'm still okay. I'm not those things. But Peter just kind of goes, no, put away all those things that were, that were in you that now through Jesus you're different. So he says, put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. And then he gives a contrast in verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And sometimes you'll see those phrases like verse 3 in the scriptures where you're like, wait a minute, what does that mean? And all they're saying is like, if you belong to the Lord, then pursue him. Like, like, like pursue the things of the Lord. Because there's that, like, and if you don't belong to the Lord, well, trust the Lord and then pursue the things of the Lord. So I think it's in something like that, trying to say, if you, if you belong to him, then pursue him. If you belong to him, then pursue him. And there's this kind of twofold language, and you see this sometimes in the New Testament. There's a, there's a putting off and there's a, there's a taking on. And you're putting off old ways. You're putting off ways you used to think. You're putting off the lie that you kind of said, no one's going to care if I say this. No one's going to care if I, if I fudge a number just a little bit. It's not going to matter that much. Everybody does it, which is always the best argument, right? Everybody does it. Great. Like, I'm, I'm so glad everybody does it. Cool. Do you want to be like that? The anger that you have toward Maybe a neighbor or a friend, the frustration because, right, their dogs are always in your yard and you got to pick it up. It's like, oh, my neighbors. It's not a true story either. Like, this is not from experience. So it's for you. The envy that you feel when somebody has something that you just want, you long for, you wish you had. You're saying, put those away. Those don't belong to you. Rather, and the contrast is kind of also the antidote. Rather, if you, don't want to, if you don't want to do that, long for pure spiritual milk. Now, you might be thinking, if you're familiar with New Testament language, oh, no. We're told, like in Hebrews, that milk is bad because we should be, like, eating meat by now. And so we have to recognize that, that, that when he's talking about this, he's just going long for what's pure, not for what's impure. Long for what's pure, not for what's impure. And the pure spiritual milk that you and I can long for to grow up into our salvation is the Word of God. That we long for the things that are in the Word of God. That we would seek them and that we would speak them and that we would engage with them. This is why, like, if you come to Genesis, and you might hear us talk about, like, D groups. It will say, hey, being a discipleship group. I'm working on the reading plan for 2022 and 2023. That's how excited I get about this stuff. So I finished the memory work for 2023 this week. <laughs> I can't wait till week 52 of 2023. <laughs> but the reason that we engage in these things is not because we're like, hey, get into this and your life will change. It's because the whole structure is read the word, write about it, pray over it, and discuss it. And so we'll have our groups that are trying to launch out again in a new year. and We'll structure them a little differently so we can have more groups launch more often. Uh, but even our community groups, just discussing what's in the scriptures. Our worship service, we're discussing and preaching and praying over the scriptures because that's what changes. And so what he's saying is long for that. Right? Don't long for what's on your DVR that you can't wait to get home and see. Don't long for that. Don't long for the resolution of whatever show you're watching. Long for what you see in the Word because that's pure. Right? It's pure. It's undefiled. 
And give your attention over to that. And when you give your attention over to that, what happens, right? Well, I don't really have much of a desire to be malicious or deceptive or hypocritical or envious or slandered. Why? Because I'm feeding myself on what is pure. And so as he just goes, as you have now come to him, you're in him, that God's good news that was preached, live, live with it. Live in keeping with it. Reject the former ways, accept pure spiritual milk, and, or it's the pure spiritual food, the word of God, and follow after him. But then he moves into this language of building. And you might go, well, why would I even do that in the first place? Like, no one's perfect, which is my favorite argument for nothing. Right? No one's perfect. Okay, Jesus was, but I know we're not playing that game. No one's perfect, so you shouldn't strive to honor your Lord? Like, so they, you know, like I, I don't get that. So he, he moves into this language of, of, now, as you come to him, right, as you walk with him, as you pursue that pure spiritual milk, you get to see both who he is and what he's doing. And this is setting up later arguments for him about the rejection that the audience is going to be experiencing. And so he's kind of setting up this, like, Jesus was rejected, Jesus was despised. Jesus was not looked at. But what we're going to see in these next four through eight is the way that Jesus worked or what happened to him, but also what he's doing. So Jesus was rejected. He was the rejected stone, but he's also building a new people as the cornerstone, which is kind of cool. So he was rejected, but he's also building up something new. And this all is going into that contrast that's going to be felt between how I live for the Lord and how I pursue him and what I might get in my life because of that. But if you just keep remembering what he's building, you can, you can endure. Because he's endured it too. And so this is what Peter says. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. Those who believe in him will not be put to shame. So it speaks well of what happens for those who are part of this spiritual house. The honor is for you. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And so what we're going to see is Peter using just three, what we call Old Testament arguments. For him, they'd just be scriptural arguments because... New Testament was being written, but he was just using scriptural arguments for what happened and is happening with the work of Jesus. And, it, and he's, again, building to what's going to come later, which is you're going to be mistreated. But look at what Jesus has had happened to him, and look at also what he is building. So first, he makes a biblical argument for the cornerstone. That's from Isaiah 28, 16, which reads like this, Therefore, thus says the Lord, 
Behold, I am the one who is laid as, in, as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Now the cornerstone, because we don't really have that, right? We have like cement foundations in our buildings. That's how we think of it. Like, okay, so, <clears throat> the, the, right? We, our songs are about foundations, and we have that one song, Cornerstone, but like we're singing, like, what's a cornerstone, right? Christ alone, like, cornerstone, bring it, but I don't use one of those things. But it was the stone that would set the trajectory for the rest, right? It was the one that needed to be right and perfect so that everything else could be built off of it in the correct way. And so Jesus is that for us, that he is the one through his sacrifice, through his work, he is the one who is building out his church, And so we get to be a part of that, right? He's calling us living stones that are being built together on this cornerstone, which is Jesus. So he goes, there's a cornerstone that God has laid, and it's Jesus. When you look at Isaiah and you see that passage, it is Jesus who is the one who is laid as that foundation, laid as that cornerstone, so that we could be built off of him rightly. But then he takes the idea of stone that cornerstone, and he goes, but this stone was rejected. Now, if you've ever laid tile, which I'm sure is none of us, right, three of us, you always have to buy extra, right? You have the waste factor. So it might be depending on how good your tile layer is, like 10%, 15%. And so what do they do, right? Like they're going to look at each piece. If they're, a good, if they're good at setting tile, they're going to look at it. And they're going to hold it up. They're going to see if it bows. They're going to check it out, especially because we all like those wood planks now. The longer the tile, the more it's going to bow. And so, right, you have that thing out there. And what do they do? If it's bowed, again, it has to be a good tile setter. It's not just like, well, let's do whatever. What do they start to do? They toss aside the tile that's not going to lay right in your home. If it has an imperfection or impurity, if it's, if it's bowed, they're going to say, hey, this is going to go over here. We're not going to use it, right? That's the waste factor that gets built into anything that we build. But the image is almost like this. is that Jesus is the cornerstone, but our vision is screwy. So with crooked eyes, we look at that straight cornerstone of Jesus and we say, nah. That goes over here, right? The stone the builders have rejected There was nothing wrong with the stone. There was something wrong with the builders. The builders had the problem. The builders weren't looking at Jesus rightly. It's like, oh, I don't need that. I'm just going to go ahead and just get get that one out of the way. And so he's just going, Jesus was rejected by the builders, those who should have accepted him, those who should have seen it coming, those who knew the scriptures, he was rejected Psalm 118, 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And so now the argument becomes about the tension between those who believe and those who don't. And that's what he then quotes from Isaiah 8. That those who are built up on Jesus are being built in one direction, but then there's another group of people who are offended and stumble over the idea of who Jesus is. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That it's going to be hard for people, 
And this time, the nation of Israel in particular, hard for them to embrace Jesus as the Messiah. Now, I want to say this to you because we have been given a, a, a commission. We call it the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. When you speak to people about Jesus, you should expect rejection. You should expect rejection. Because the gospel message is foolishness. It is upside down. It preaches a different world. And we say, hey, your works matter for nothing. By grace through faith, you are a part of the family of God. And you go, but I've lived for 65 years. I have lived an upright life. I have been honest on my taxes. I have cared for my family. I have provided for their needs. I have invested in their college education. I'm a good grandparent. I'm concerned about my legacy, and I want to preserve their name. And I go, apart from Jesus? And that can sting. To be told that your contribution merits you nothing for your salvation... That's not a message that we embrace. We like to think we embrace it, but we don't embrace it. Because everything we do in this world is based off of how we work. And so that Messiah, Jesus, he was rejected, he was not accepted by his own people. The Gospel of John shows us that. He came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. But to anyone who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children not born of the flesh or the will of man, but of the will of God. And so Peter uses this argument just to say, Jesus is building something up. And what he's building up is bigger and better and more glorious because it's built upon him. And we're living stones that he's placing together. And this is the crazy thing to me. is like to go back to my Lego imagery because this is the only time my kids listen to a sermon. Is that like, you are a brick. You are a Lego brick that Jesus, the master builder, has a plan for. Like, there's a space and a place. And his eternal plan of what's going on here is like, there's a place for you. Jesus has the place. He's building you up into something. And generations from now, we might stand back and go, I... Not we, someone else looks at us, our family, whatever. Marvel. I had no idea that that's how, God, you were going to use me. I had no idea that's how you were going to use us together, the however many dozen of us here in this room together. I had no idea that you were going to use us for this. As we come to him, he's building something up. He's establishing something based upon himself. And this is what's great, is that he knows what's best. He knows where we fit. He knows how we fit. He has designed us, created us. His spirit is in us. And so he's building this up. Might be going, well, you know, what does that mean? How does that work? I would say this, though we're going to get to just the last couple of verses in the chapter. To be built up together means a few things. It means that Christ has a destination for his church. 
I mean, he says it. I will build my church. He says this to Peter, which is why one of the reasons I think Peter is so caught up in the building language, right? Because he says to Peter, you're a rock. On this rock, I'll build my church. He's talking to Peter. And it's not that Peter's the cornerstone, right? That's not the point. But what does Peter get to be a part of? Acts chapter 2. Right, the preaching of the gospel on the day of Pentecost, thousands who are believing that right, what Jesus was saying Peter was going to do, Peter was able to be a part of. Peter was an integral part of the recognition of the gospel to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And then as he saw that going at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. So he is a qualified guy to speak about the difference between those who might reject Jesus and those who don't. Because he was a part of, of what was the in-group that then also had to realize that no, God's doing a different work. <laughs> Right? God's doing a different thing through Jesus and by the power of his spirit. He's building something differently. So Peter was a well-qualified man to speak about this very subject of what God is building. Because Jesus said he's building something and he's going to use Peter. Peter was a part of it. Peter saw the connection between Jew and Gentile, which our passage last week spoke about. He was, he was, he was on the front lines of the Lord giving him specific instruction that he's changing the way this works. Right? Remember he had the vision of the sheet that would come down and there were all these animals on it that were unclean and the Lord tells him to get up and kill and eat. And he's like, but I've never done that in my whole life. God is, is teaching him that he's doing something different with the expectations of the law. And then right after that vision, a bunch of Gentiles knock on his door. Is Peter here? Yeah, he's up, he's up on the roof taking a nap. Cornelius sent us. And then, yeah, I love what Peter does. Because in that moment, Peter's like, I know why you're here. Like, he gets his backpack, and he just kind of like, let's go. And they're going to go on their way. <laughs> because he's already aware of what's going on. I know why you're like, like let's go ahead and do it. <clears throat> because I know why you come. The Lord has made it clear to me that, you know, I'm thinking wrongly here. And so he goes, and the Gentiles receive the Spirit. Christ has a destination for us, meaning he's building us up into something. There's a place this is going. And actually, we also have to remember that our generation, our time here on this earth, is a part of what he has previously been building. And should the Lord tarry in his return, it's a part of what he is continuing to build. Continuing to build what he's previously built, and we're slotted in. In 2021, as a part of what God is doing. It's a part of what God is doing. It means, as we see, that we are, as we see in verse 5, being built as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. A holy priesthood is our identity. Now think about the Old Testament, New Testament tension that might exist here, especially for a Jewish speaker like Peter. How hard do you think it is for a guy like Peter at that point in time to say, we're all a priesthood? I mean, there was a priesthood. You think somebody with like a Levitical family heritage just loves reading that verse? No, wait a minute, I am in the priesthood. You are not. You think somebody that could trace their family line back to Aaron was really happy to read that? In the Lord, of course, they would delight. But in yourself, you're like, I have been working at this thing 
forever. Like, I've had this thing in the family forever. And then now we get this declaration that we're all a priesthood. We're all a part of this thing. And what is the priesthood? But they're they're the ministers of worship. They're in the house. And when, remember this, remember we saw the tabernacle and like the Levites had to camp around the tabernacle because the Lord didn't want to consume the whole people. The Levites had a specific function in the priestly ministry and the worshiping ministry of the nation of Israel. And to hear this now, it's like, no, we're all a part of ministering. We all have access now through the Spirit to the Father because of the work of Jesus Christ. Like We all have this. And so that language of you are now a holy priesthood and you are offering, you are offering spiritual sacrifices. You don't bring like the sacrifice to my house. Hey, Hans, could you please offer this? You're the pastor. Sorry, we got the same access. You don't have to go through me ever, ever. And those spiritual, those spiritual sacrifice is acceptable to God through Jesus. I love this for a couple of reasons. Reason number one is we have to remember who makes it acceptable. Jesus makes it acceptable. Not me. I don't make it acceptable. Jesus makes my sacrifice acceptable. But what is my sacrifice? Well, in that regard, think about the life of a priest. Right? They were helping people to worship. The priest would help people walk with God when there was sin, right? They would go to the priest, and the priest would <clears throat> say, hey, this is, you know, do this and do that. And we don't have to do that anymore, but now all for one another and to the Lord, we were able to minister, we are able to help one another walk with the Lord, we are able to serve that those folks who have shown up here at 10 o'clock in the morning to pray and are now ministering to your children are offering spiritual sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That every click on the soundboard and everything that we do, even with that, or those who are watching online and those who are recording the camera and those who are greeting and those who are brewing coffee, all of those done in the Lord are spiritual sacrifices made acceptable through the work of Jesus Christ done by people who are his. And when you go to your community group and you're sharing what's going on in your heart and your group gathers around you and they pray for you and they follow up with you that week and somebody brings you dinner because they know you're having a hard time and they just want to see how you're doing and they call you the next day to check in and tell you that they prayed for you, you are offering spiritual sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's why he is building. It's not a built, right? Like it's not done. He is building it. He's building it. He's building it as we minister and as we serve and as we engage and as we worship. He is building this up into something glorious. So it means that God has a destination. It means that we're all priests in God's house. It means that we have work to do, service to do. If you don't like saying work, just say service, and then you can remove it from one part of your cortex. No, it's not, not about work. It's about service. Okay, well, let's just say service then. Now, what I love, and the last couple of verses are probably the ones that we remember the most in 1 Peter. But what I love here is what we have in verses 9 and 10. But you... 
Now, the you is, the but is because there's this group that are rejecting Jesus. So they were destined to do because the Old Testament speaks about how there's, he's going to be rejected by some. You, however, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So now we see this difference between those who had rejected Jesus, but you are different, church. You are different. And he actually borrows language from Exodus chapter 19, which we went through in our Exodus series. He borrows language to talk about what God is doing and, and, and going, hey, look, look what he said in Exodus. And, and look, this is what God is doing now through his spirit. So in Exodus 19, we see that Jesus has identified us as a people. That's what Peter's using. But 19, we say it like this to the nation of Israel. Therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God is speaking as he's delivering the covenant in Exodus chapter 19, this Identity forming, if you, if you obey, if you keep, then you will be this people. And then we see Peter using that language for his audience to go, you are this. Well, what's changed? Because in Exodus 19, it was, hey, you will be this if you do these things. That's the language. If you keep my covenant, you will be, you will be this, you will be blessed. But what has changed now is the work of Jesus for us. The new covenant, the spirit that is put onto our hearts, the fact that we are now different, fundamentally different as God's people. And so he goes, you are this. There's no you will be this if. Peter actually says, you are this. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may, and let's not lose the purpose statement, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That gives us the so what. Okay, so he's building me, he's doing this. Am I just supposed to just kind of serve people all the time? Like, is that it? I'm just going to serve people. Am I scoring up priesthood points for the rest of my life so I can level up into something? No. We're all of these things. We're doing these things, and God is building that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So Jesus has identified us as his people, and Jesus has called us into light to proclaim him, and Jesus has given us mercy. Once you were not a people, now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. So what we get here, what we get here is that Jesus has changed us, and as a changed people, we are a proclaiming people. We declare it, we speak of it, we talk about it, we share it. Why? Because it is, as the word gospel means, good news. 
that once I had not received mercy, but now I have received mercy, once I was in darkness, but now I am in light, brought into the light by God, called in by Jesus, and now I can proclaim this to others? Not because I have any power over it. Not because I did it myself, but because it has happened to me. So I'm able to speak about it. So let's just just think back through these 10 verses for a moment. With just a few ideas. Who are we as God's house? Who are we? This thing that Jesus is building up, this structure that Jesus is, right? We're all living stones being built up into something with a space and a place that God is doing. And he's doing something for all eternity, not just for right now. Let's go back through that passage and we'll first see that we are a regularly repenting people. Right? Those first three verses. So put aside these things and pursue pure milk. Pure spiritual milk. Put aside one, pursue the other. That is that regular repentance that we do of confessing our sins, the ways in which we failed, and going back to the Lord and recognizing his grace for us, the forgiveness that we always had, we brought kind of back into, not our salvation, but walking in that right relationship with God. So we are a regularly, a regularly repenting people. Secondly, we are a Christ-built people. I am not, the elders are not, the deacons are not, the community leaders are not, the architects of Genesis. If we were, we're in a lot of trouble. Right? Like we're in a we're in lots of trouble. Because I honestly don't always know what's best. So shocker. Right? And somebody might come to me and confess some sin, but really they didn't confess 700 other ones. Because usually when you confess sin, what do you do? Like you find the safest one to say. This is what we do. Hey, I'm really struggling right now with like my marriage. Like, okay. You want to talk more about that? And then like, you know, a year later it's like, well, I was having an affair. I'm like, yeah, that's a little different than struggling with your marriage. But what do we do? We kind of say this one thing. So if I just take that at face value and I just go, I don't know what the Lord is doing here. I don't know what the Lord is building here. And so he's always the builder, which means that we have to just lean back and go, God, you're building something and we trust you with it. And we will labor and we will serve and we will be priests in this household and we will do whatever we can. But there's something going on beyond what we think might even be going on. There's something that you're building even beyond what I think you might be building. Because we're Christ built. It's built on his work, his authority, him the cornerstone, meaning he's the only one that can hold this thing up. Which is great because I feel... Little to no pressure. <laughs> because the church isn't built on my back or, or my aptitude, my skill, none of that. It's Jesus and what he's doing. We're a Christ-built people. When you consider what we have then in Ephesians 2 from last week, Yeah, that's why we look different or talk differently. We have different backgrounds because Jesus is building something up. Thirdly, we're a a servant-hearted people. 
That's that language of priests. We're here to, because we have access to God, but we can minister to one another. And in fact, I would challenge you, you guys to, to be more active in deliberate ministry of those in your church family. Meaning, meaning this, when you see them struggling, when they need prayer, when they need a conversation, I don't think you realize what God has put at your disposal to be a minister to another brother or sister here in the church family. Right? Like, you don't have to kick it up the chain immediately and go, hey, Hans, could you help me with this? Or this thing's going on or whatever else. I'm like, you give it a run. You're a priest. So be that. Minister to people. Do it joyfully. Do it gladly. And when you screw up, right, like, that's all right. Because it's not built on you anyways. And so that means I think we do have freedom to, to enter into people's lives and share with them and care for them and pray for them, bear burdens with them, and, and just help them. I do think that Christians, especially our flavor, sorely mis, uh, misjudge what's at their capacity to be a caring and servant-hearted person toward another one in their church family. We haven't done it. We don't know how to do it. And so we just don't know. Right? You go, well, I haven't, I haven't been at the church for you know, long. I didn't grow up in the church. I don't know these things. I'm like, so what? You can get less of the Spirit. You don't have junior Holy Spirit kind of in you until you level up long enough. You know, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah, at the five-year mark, we have a ceremony for everybody who's been a believer five years where we give them the senior Holy Spirit award, and then they can go around and minister. Come on. Fourth, we're holy. We're set apart by and made right by God. And that's why we're holy. Because he has declared it so. And then finally, we are proclaiming. We saw that in Ephesians 2. I'm sorry, we're going to see that next week. I'm getting my Ephesians messed up. We'll see it next week some and how we speak to one another. But we are a proclaiming and rejoicing and worshiping people. So again, to those who are maybe new to church life, to those who just feel like they have bags of, like, I have my Bible, I have my church, I have my community group, I have my friends, I'm trying to, they're like, what do I do with this? How do I put these pieces together? I don't even know how it works. First, best thing we can do is first just go, Lord, this is your thing. This is your thing. If I pursue you, long for that pure spiritual milk, and I recognize how you are building and what you are already doing, right? That's a statement of what God is doing, what Jesus is building, not what he would build if we're good enough. So if we just pursue truth, and if we recognize his authority and what he is working, and then in the power of his spirit, which we'll spend next week on, trusting that as we yield to the spirit, Allow the Spirit to minister through us. And when I say allow, there's a specific language in Ephesians 5, right? The control that exists between don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I still think sometimes we look at this passage and go, well, why isn't it happening then? Like I thought it might. And I think to some degree it's because we don't recognize what's at our disposal in the Spirit of Christ. And so we just back off. 
But it's great to remember that Jesus is building something even here, even now, even with you. And this doesn't matter age. If you were in Christ and you were 9 years old, 10 years old, 13 years old, 15 years old, 25 years old, 85 years old, God has a role for you. He's using you. You are a living stone in him regardless of age. Regardless of family history, regardless of Bible knowledge, regardless of how you were raised, you are a living stone. It's a beautiful thing. 